So today on our weekly Sports Tech podcast, powered by Sports Tech Advisors, we have the honor to have Ben Payne, the head of esports for McLaren, a leading uh, F1 team. So Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Great. So Ben, today what I wanted to talk about was uh, McLaren's decision to enter esports and then uh, get your thoughts on the response from your fans so far and, and the impact on your business, but also get your thoughts on the recipe for success for a sports organization to enter the esports market. And then finally, get your thoughts on your goals in the coming years. How does it sound? Sounds perfect. Let's crack on. Great. So for the audience who's listening, Ben, so uh, why did McLaren decide to enter the esports market? Um, back in 2017, McLaren became the first Formula One team to enter esports. Um, the reasons for that were kind of threefold. We were very keen to um, make sure that we were engaging the younger end of our fan demographic uh, with content that was engaging and dynamic uh, and gaming and esports seemed to be a good opportunity for that. Um, we wanted to be showing that McLaren continues to be at the bleeding edge of all technologies. As a group, we obviously have McLaren Racing, McLaren Automotive and McLaren Applied Technologies. and and gaming is a sphere we've been in for some time by licensing, obviously. Um, but from an esports perspective, that seemed to be key as well. But also, we the third reason was because we wanted to be able to tell stories with our partners um, uh, outside of F1 in a new and dynamic way as well. So esports was kind of the perfect sweet spot for that. Um, and so in 2017, we uh, launched World's Fastest Gamer, um, which worked very well. And then in July of last year, we moved into to, into Shadow, which has been a phenomenal success so far. That's great. So congratulations. Um, so what has been the response from your fans so far uh, ever since you launched the eSports competition, for example? I think our fans have been really delighted with the risks we've been taking over the last two years to try and find our sort of furrow uh, in this very, very busy space. You know, eSports is a, a buzzword and a very busy uh, space, new entries all the time, startups, and also very established franchises, teams, and titles. Uh, and uh, in the motorsport space, uh, sim racing, esports racing on, on a grand scale is still quite new. Obviously, sim racing has been around for 25 years. Um, but I think our fans have been very, very happy. You know, when we launched World's Fastest Gamer back in 2017, um, you know, we offered the best job in esports, an opportunity for somebody to become a Formula One simulator driver at McLaren, you know, uh, enter one of the most secretive spaces in our building to help our Formula One team build the most competitive car that we can. Um, that spaces used to do all sorts of aero testing and um, strategy work and what have you. And and a 25-year-old kitchen equipment salesman from Holland um, went from selling that uh, selling that stuff in just outside Amsterdam in December to racing against Le Mans winners in the February of the following year. And, you know, we changed Rudy's life. Rudy Van Buren won that first competition and, and did a bunch of time in our simulator and, and helped the team immensely. And we also managed to give him some other life-changing opportunities driving our cars around the world. And I think our fans were excited to showcase that um, there, is a, there is a way to try and um, chase your dreams that isn't just that sort of well-walked uh, path of how to get into motorsport. Now, we, when we launched Shadow, um, you know, we gave away a, a seat on our esports team and we've had you know, half a million entrants to the program last year. And our fans are, A, they love driving McLarens, and a bunch of them don't normally get the opportunity to do that, right, whether that's the F1 car or our road cars. And yeah. if they can do that via a mobile console or PC um, and enjoy the thrill in a virtual environment, 
that's great. They just love immersing, you know, the escapism of gaming is, is something we all adore, right? Um, and the fact that they can therefore sort of hone their skills um, and be competitive and then have a chance to come here to McLaren HQ in Woking, UK, um, and be put through the hardest job interview in esports by, um, you know, bleeding edge, world leading human performance scientists and technicians and mechanics and engineers, racing our cars on track and then doing a bunch of uh, racing. That is quite an enticing opportunity. That's a once in a lifetime uh, opportunity to see behind the veil of how a, a Formula One team uh, operates. Uh, um, and, um, you know, our, our finalists last year really enjoyed that. I think the fans have enjoyed the content we've been able to publish around it. And we streamed over nine hours of content last year uh, on our YouTube channel. Um, yeah. And I think they've enjoyed engaging and, and picking their champion. You know, normally you just get to choose between Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris as a McLaren fan. But, you know, in January in our finals, we had seven guys up there. Um, and um, some of them were Team Igor, some of them were Team Miguel, some of them were Team Nuno. You know, you could go through all seven of the guys. Um, and each of them had their fan base and, you know, they were cheering their corner. So um, I think our fans have really enjoyed it. I think they've they've appreciated the fact that we are evolving. And, we, you know, we are, you know, racing esports is not sitting at the same table as Counter-Strike or League of Legends, right? We are um, very much knowing where we are in the pyramid of the system. Um, but we are pitching a story that is uh, slightly different to those. And when we're trying to recruit people, um into the business either as a simulator driver and as an esports driver you know we're operating in the only sport where where that skill in the virtual world is almost wholly transferable into the real world um i think jensen button who was racing for us at the time said it best when we launched world's fastest gamer the only differential here is fear um and when we've put these guys in 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 real cars they haven't as much as you know scuffed a tire um in all the times they've been out on track when you you know when you compare that to um, FIFA players or Counter-Strike players, you're never going to grace the World Cup final as a FIFA player, and you're not going to join the special services, um, special ops when you're playing Counter-Strike. But in motorsport, there's a way of cheating the system here, and we enjoy telling that story, the virtual to the real, many times, and I think our fans love that too. I think it's amazing. Uh, congratulations on on all your great progress and the response from the fans. So. Recently, you said in an interview that uh, you said our guys are more athletes than in a number of esports spaces. I know the big esports teams have nutritionists and all of that, but I think uh, simulation uh, racing is different. So can you elaborate on that? And does that mean that you, you're basically preparing your esports gamers in a way that is quite similar to your F1 drivers? Yeah, absolutely. I think what we are trying to... Um uh get across in some of that messaging is is the fact that there is still a stigma attached to gaming and esports that is wholly unwarranted about the physical capacity of its professional athletes to compete and you know when you see guys at uh, events around the world mouse and keyboard setup or a, a controller that's quite a sedentary experience and so therefore it falls into the same old conversations that they're just sat there but the amount of work that they're doing i think can strike athletes are doing 120 movements per second or something you know and they're just phenomenal yeah. hand-eye coordination that is insane i guess what we're trying to say on a more physical level is that because we race with wheels and pedals as opposed to a mouse and keyboard or controller when we go racing that that's a physical exertion beyond mouse and keyboard or controller and so therefore the physical demands of our athletes far exceeds those in other esports spheres 
that's not to demean those guys in any way. I've been to Katowice and seen Counter-Strike being played for seven hours. That's an insane effort by 10 guys, right? And, you you know, you doth your cap to them. And But I'm just saying from when we go racing, whether it's F1 esports or whether we do some endurance racing, we recently did a 12-hour Sebring race. You know, that's that's a long time to be in that sled, putting in highly competitive laps when your average speed is 195 miles an hour, right? You You know, you are that's quite a physical undertaking and um so therefore our athletes have to train for that level of endurance um now i'm not saying they're going through the exact um routines that lando and carlos would do for us um uh, i'm not saying that at all i'm just saying that what they are doing is they have to keep themselves fit they have to keep themselves hydrated um and they have to keep themselves as light as possible because these sleds are compact and they need to go racing in two three hour stints at a time um, at serious pace and so therefore their preparation is important and when we've taken uh, guys here for our, um, our human performance work they are going through the exact same human performance uh, operations and exercises that our formula one drivers would do and some of those are not physical right so there's footage circling that we've put out of the guys with those neck braces on or head braces so you can check their neck strength you know, a tool that's used by Formula One drivers. I've seen Lando and Fernando and Danny Rick and the guys, you know, check those those neck muscles. Um, we put the guys through that, but we also did cognitive work with them as well. I think esports as a whole is a lot more professional than people think it is. Um, and I'm, I guess what we were trying to say was in a sports scenario, when we go racing, it's taken to another level based on the environment in which we go and compete. Yeah, that makes sense. And then we, you know, we've come across some startups. There's one in LA. Uh, what they've done is called Neurable, and they put um, they're analyzing the brainwave activities of the 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 esports gamers and the best ones, and they basically build a training system to understand what makes those gamers the best and how do you help some other esports gamers up their game. So it's almost becoming a science. You know, it is, and I remember we've taken so much data off our athletes over the time we've been here in the two years we've been running this you know they wore wearables throughout our finals last year to the point where we were showing the heart rate of each of the drivers as they were racing on the stream on youtube which i think was yeah. the first and you could see how some guys had a heart rate you know that means they should be you know having a lie down and some of the guys who you felt like were probably lying down at the time they seem to have almost a resting resting pulse um but also we've done data work in the past with mclaren applied technologies where we film them as they race and you get sentiment testing where you can actually see whether people race happy or race sad you know race angry versus race relaxed and and you know success is uh is a is possible via any number of sort of combinations of that but when you start to really dig into it there's a whole host of fascinating insights there that, you know, I think we're just scratching the surface of. That makes sense. Um, so let's talk maybe more about on the business side of things, right? So there has been a, a, a bunch of soccer team, for example, in Europe that have entered the esports uh, area, right? And there were, I remember there was one, uh, I think a team from Eastern Europe, after four months, they basically shut down their esports division. And I think there's a lot of questions in the sports industry about how do we get a good return on investment? on esports. So which bring my next question. So, you know, what are the recipes for success for a team to enter the esports market? And how do you really get a return investment? Or you should not focus on the, the return investment in the short term, but more focus on the long term and build a good business. Um 
there's no perfect answer for this. And I think you could ask 150 executives in the esports community what they think, and you probably get 150 answers. I think what yeah. is key uh, from the, I've been at McLaren for 18 months, right? And I feel like the one takeaway I would give at this point is that we need to, one needs to walk before you can run. You know, we live in a startup society and that's great. And you can see the advancement of a whole number of entertainment entities in that time frame. I love it. But I think that you do see people stretch too thin too quickly, which leads to what you're describing where people, you know, I've had milk last some last longer than some of the sort of opportunities that are out there in, in some of these spheres. I think what we, you need to do is you need to build yourself uh, a way of operating on a budget that is, is, is feasible for that 12 month period. And then you just, I mean, on a personal basis, we check in with our finance teams here at McLaren racing as regularly as Gilda Ferran and Zach Brown do with their various parts of their racing business, right? Um, we are all held accountable to the money we uh, bring into the business and spend on behalf of the business. Um, and therefore you have to, you know, uh, operate within agreed terms. We don't have the opportunity to play for hundreds of thousands of dollars as regularly as teams like TSM or Fnatic or Team Liquid would do. Um, we go racing occasionally and we're racing for nominal amount of money. And then we go racing in F1 uh, esports and that, you know, has more money in it significantly this year, which we're excited about. But over, overhead costs are expensive. You know, this kit is expensive to buy, to maintain and to ship. Um, and also your athletes um, have day jobs in this sphere, right? We don't have, there's not a, me, a, a great deal of uh, racing esports athletes who are full-time. They will have a day job of some capacity um, to keep ends uh, met. And so therefore you have to manage your team as transparently as possible. Now we are very lucky to speak to our athletes on an almost daily basis and, and, and make sure that they are happy and are, are racing for us in a time frame that is suitable to them. My buzzword for most of this is just transparency. We we are transparent internally and we are transparent with our partners who help us extremely positively through our program. And you know we're blessed to have partners such as Alienware, Logitech G, um, who you know are able to give us hardware uh, to go racing as well as um, help build our program. You know, McLaren is is in a slightly unique situation in that we run an esports team but also run an esports program and the costs associated with those two disciplines are very different and um, the overheads of running an esports team is arguably easier to to budget and forecast for than it is to run an esports program itself um but i think that the recipe for success is be to be transparent with your partners and your internal stakeholders as as early and as regularly as you can be um and as honest with yourself as you can be and, and hopefully success will be in your future but it's Certainly, there's never any quick wins in this business, and there's an awful lot of blood, sweat, and tears that need to go into it. And I think everyone who is successful in that in this industry has had those those times where they've had to really roll up their sleeves, and and we're no different. Um, and actually, we're proud to be um, wiser for that experience, and um, looking forward to the third year of our esports program. Oh, that's amazing. Well, and that makes sense. So, uh, in regards to that, you know, we had a conversation with a major. A sports league. I can't mention the name of it, but they basically told us that the the very first time they launched an esports league uh, in America, they made the mistake of trying to replicate an experience that's similar to their own sports, right? And and the gamers were very quick to tell them, "Well, don't do that. You know, you need to keep the specificity of the way esports is being played." Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think I think in racing. We don't have 
um, you know, we, we, we need a lot of space to go racing bit, uh, virtually. Um, and sim racing has always had a broadcast first approach, whether that's Twitch or YouTube mixer, whatever you want it to be. Um, and there's content creators around the world doing great guns with how, of showcasing that content and a big audience keen to, to digest that, 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 that content. Um, I think what I also think is, is equally applicable is taking a formula that works in one geography in the world and trying to apply it to another geography in the world uh, as a sort of potato stamp, when actually there is an awful lot of um, difference between how esports operates successfully in North America, for example, than it does, say, in Eastern Europe uh, and certainly in Asia Pacific. Um, and so therefore you have to tailor your experience to the audience you're in and, and tell local stories. Uh, and that's also as applicable to the sport because there are motorsports that are more popular in certain parts of the world than they are in others. Um, you know, we are lucky enough to be part of F1, which is sort of globally um, loved and, and, and that helps us when we go racing in that space. But some of the other sort of series we, we work in, are, you know, have a, a smaller sort of um, identity. I think the great scenario we have is that the games we work on or work with have an amazing spectator mode nine times out of 10 that allows that content to be absolutely phenomenal to digest. You know, we are lucky enough in F1 to go racing with 20 cars um, who all have the same performance, right? Which is unlike what real F1 is, is like in reality at this moment in time. So one would argue that you would enjoy an esports race of F1 more than the cars going around the actual track because there's more of a level playing field before the lights go out. Um, and that's, I think that's, that's probably another one of the sort of differentiators we have that we therefore are actually trying to purify the version of the sports that we're racing in and certainly democratize it. And therefore that's the way that we, we try and succeed. Well, thank you for those insights. Um, so, you know, we've, you've been uh, in the esports competition, I mean, for three years now, right? So uh, what goals are you trying to achieve uh, with esports in the, in the coming years at McLaren? Um, so we want to um, continue to build the uh, racing esports um, audience, um, and we are absolutely um, devoted to try and make that audience as big as it could possibly be. And we have KPIs in place, which obviously won't share, but you know, are competitive over the next sort of four years. We do five-year planning process at the back end of last year, um, and there's um, strong growth forecasts there for you know the audiences that we want to um, showcase the uh, partners we uh, partner with and, and bring on board in that time frame. So we want to continue to have the biggest, most open and diverse racing esports program on the planet, which we are thinking we are right now. But we think that there is more growth out there, and we are you know been on the phone most of today with partners around the world. Uh, to make sure that that continues to be the case and the appetite we have is wholly positive. So that's exciting. I think the impact that esports has had on McLaren's core business is, is just about um, showing a different way um, of approaching the sort of sports model from a, uh, a delivery and promotional perspective. You know, we've done, you know, 50 years plus of F1 racing here in McLaren and we're sat in a building that's testament to that uh, sort of level of success over many decades. Esports is still very embryonic. So we are always asking the question of why when we're internal, because we're a fresh new team that is doing things very differently to teams who've been doing things in the same way for a long time and very successfully. Um, we are uniquely placed as an esports program to work across the entire group here at McLaren. So we 
race our racing cars from the racing department that I sit in, which is obviously F1 and Indy. Um, IndyCar, that is, sorry. And we uh, also race our automotive cars. Um, so we've partnered with McLaren Automotive massively with their licensing program, and they have games in the best racing games around the world, which is great. And then we're also a massive opportunity for McLaren Applied Technologies, probably the least known public entity of McLaren to sort of certainly a gaming audience, to showcase the technologies and advancements that they are able to deliver in that space. So we've become a shop window for the uh, the Applied Technologies group um, and a great exponent of how um, diverse and successful the McLaren group is as a whole via the route of gaming. As long as we continue to tell that story, we should be uh, hunting in a pretty strong direction as we move forward over the next sort of four or five years. Well, great. Well, congratulations again. Uh, look, we're arriving at the end of this uh, podcast interview, but I wanted to thank you for, for your time today and, and all the best for uh, with your plans in the coming years. Thanks so much, Julian. Thank you.